This is Terry McLaurin, and you're listening to Roster Watch. Ladies and gentlemen, Roster Watch Nation, welcome back to the Epic Roster Watch Podcast, brought to you by rosterwatch.com. My name is Alex Dunlap, and we've brought on a hard hitter for this episode—a hard, hard, hard hitter. We can only bring on, we can only bring the hardest of hitters when we're only this far away from the NFL draft. His name is Ian Harditz. You can find him on Twitter at iHarditz, H-A-R-T-I-T-Z. He's the lead fantasy analyst over there at Pro Football Focus, where they are having a what a, what a 30% off sale right now. Any product, you can go there, use the promo code DRAFT30. And Ian, we are. It, this is this is DRAFT30, brother. Like, we are sitting at DRAFT30. It's, it's coming right up. How pumped are you? I am ready, man. Look, I love college football. I love every part of the football calendar. But with that said, man... I can't take three plus months of no live football. Like everyone's hating on the XFL and the AAF in past years. Could not be me. Exactly, man. So it's been a grind, but you know, we are a mere, what, seven, eight days, whatever it is from finally getting most of these rosters set up. So, you know, free agency, all the pro days, all this, all that, we've all formed our opinion opinions, but ultimately it matters what the NFL teams think about these guys. So I'm excited to see where these guys go. And then once May comes around to me, that's the real fantasy football. Hey, 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 Ian, you're, you're, you seem to me like a you, you, you seem to me, to me like a real football guy, right? You're over there at PFF. I think you just love football, like like right. I do. I, I just have two questions. Uh, as far as spring football, do you think that the XFL, this thing with the CFL, do you think that that the XFL maybe working together with the CFL? Do you think that will even work, or is this going to be more of the same where they're going to play a half a season? Like we haven't even gotten a full season out of one of these teams, but out of one of these leagues between the AAF and between you know, XFL and everything like that. Uh, do you ever really see it happening? Because that was a lot of fun, dude. Like I had a lot of fun with with, with those spring leagues. So, so the AAF I think was actually a fun product, but I mean, they literally like had to get a new investor after week one. Like they just did not have the money <laughs> to try to do what they wanted to do. XFL and CFL, man, I've never gotten too much into CFL because it's a different game. I believe there's only three downs. Uh, you know, you got the longer, bigger fields, more guys on the field. Like it just, it's not eleven on eleven American football as I am comfortable. Uh, watching it you know as much as an old man yelling at the cloud statement as that might uh, come off as but man like I just think we need the XFL to get another chance. It was working, and then COVID took it out. Like, COVID took out pretty much everything. So, you know, people want to compare it to Division One college football or NFL. Like, that's not fair. We need to compare it against, like, regular season hockey and basketball because that's what it's competing against during that time frame. So, uh, you know, for me, any football is generally good football. Just give me, uh, you know, at least an 11-11 version because arena, CFL, you know, they might have their sticks. But for me, I'm looking to get – even if it's a knockoff version – I'm trying to get that usual football uh, diet I'm used to. Okay, so and then what? What? What other just random football question that I'm just curious about how you how you feel about whether you're going to be the old man yelling at the clouds? <laughs> 
or not. I can't I can't decide whether I or whether or not I think this is cool or whether or not I think this is a horrible idea. Um, what do you think about? I don't even know if you saw this. I didn't even see this until earlier this morning. But the um, a few days ago, the Ravens came out with you know John Harbaugh and the Ravens always have these ideas for the competition committee. Did you see it? What they were talking about about you, one team gets to spot the foot for the overtime rule, where one no, team gets no. to one team gets to spot the football, and then the other team um, the other team decides whether or not they want to go on offense or defense. Talk about a talk about a mental chess match of 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 how the strategy of that could go. I haven't completely thought it all over, but your first what is what is your first thought upon hearing that proposal? They're basically saying it looks like it'll be dead on dead on arrival because they're going to get twenty three teams to sign off on it, and the league is stodgy and they don't like new things or everything. But my first thought was that's kind of neat. It adds a little kind of a little poker game chess match riddle that I'm not quite sure how the right way right. to handle it is. What do, you, what, do you, what, do you, what, do you, what do you think about that that proposal? It sounds like something where, you know, I'm not surprised Harbaugh proposed it with the Ravens being one, you know, the analytical leaders here over the years. And I'm sure they already know the optimal way <laughs> to kind of <laughs> yeah. handle that. So it's it true. seems like something for me where maybe we see some coaches getting wild with it the first few times. But pretty quickly, I think uh, it'll kind of be optimized and teams will know where to go with it. But, hey, man, I'm just hearing about it. So maybe it would be uh, fun. I appreciate Harbaugh trying to uh, change things up a little bit. I do think overtime uh, could be fixed as well as onside kicks man and that was one of the fun things uh, about the xfl was their onside kicks being oh, you know just a fourth and 15 instead of that i'm pretty sure that rule didn't pass either but yeah i think the only one i did hear that has a chance is they're going to like take a certain number of players out of the uh zone where you can kind of receive the onside kick so it should be something man i think the percent right now is like just two or three uh or something like that of these onside kick tries have been successful so all for making the game safer uh but yeah we just want more action and you know it's if it was yeah. up to me, man, I want kickers out of fantasy football and real life football. So the less of that, the better. So in that, uh, from that manner, I do respect the Harbaugh's idea. All right, a couple of NFL draft questions for you here, just as they as they relate to fantasy. Um, I know that you've been sort of looking at some stuff about uh, you had the article at PFF about what draft capital means. Yeah. Uh, I presume is is that was that for dynasty? Was that for redraft? And could you just get kind of give the audience? a taste of what that article was about for those that weren't able to read it, let them know where, where they can read it and what some of your biggest takeaways were. Yeah. PFF.com don't even need to subscribe. You can just get it for free, but yeah. So the thing with draft capital, and again, you know, as someone that's spent a lot of time uh, studying a uh, non NFL type football leagues, I haven't, I don't dive into prospects quite as crazily as a lot of other people do before the draft, because look, I try to keep, I know longer term is generally better, not only in football and life, but you know, as someone that is primarily more, DFS redraft best ball oriented. I'm mostly focused on just the next year. So from that perspective, draft capital can mean a ton, man. And look, money talks like we know that. And it makes sense, you know, just from uh, kind of a wider scale that players that have more investment from the team generally get more opportunities. And we've seen that play out just to a really high level here over the years. So the measures I use to kind of study and just define, I guess, uh, a high-performing player, top 12 fantasy QB, top 12 fantasy tight end, and I did top 24 running back wide receivers. At every position, regardless, regardless, 80% plus of those players 
and as rookies, we're drafted inside the top three rounds. So tight ends, man, there's literally only been two top 12 rookie tight ends over the past decade, Rob Gronkowski and Evan Ingram. Ingram needed like Beckham to break his leg after four games to even get there. So I love Kyle Pitts, and I think he is and can be the exception to that rule. But, you know, as you're starting to find you know, the Tommy Trembles of the wor- world and these other names, I just, you know, would really curb your expectations because needing to come into the NFL, learn how to be a receiver and block. I mean, it's no wonder that tight ends have – such a struggle kind of immediately ingraining themselves in an offense. But running back and wide receiver, we see the most, but man, it's more shifted towards running backs. We've had 30 top 24 PPR rookie backs over the past 10 years, just 16 wide receivers. So the one kind of thing with the running backs is, again, they're all going in the top three rounds. And we see the exceptions, but the exceptions, man, they're pretty easy to point out. They've been Roy, Roy Hallou, Alfred Morris, both coached by Shanahan. We know that family freaking invented the idea that you don't need to use a, a high round pick and a running back. And all the other guys just clearly had a long-term starter leaving the offense. So Zach Stacy got going after Steven Jackson went to Atlanta. Jordan Howard had a big year after Matt Forte went to the Jets. Philip Lindsay balled out after CJ Anderson uh, went away. James Robinson, obviously last year after Leonard Fournette was cut just before his season started. So to me, the three or four teams, I guess that stand out uh, as those qualifiers this year, the Jets, the Steelers, the Falcons, and the 49ers who happen to be coached by Shanahan. So if a running back doesn't go to one of those four teams, man, I would just kind of uh, advise people just, you know, rein in your expectations a little bit because ultimately we're looking for opportunity in fantasy football. And even if you think a guy is, you know, better than another guy, if there's a 50 touch difference between them, it's going to be a problem. Uh, Quickly with the wide receivers, only two exceptions to the top three round rules. And those have been uh, Mike Williams, the Tampa Bay version, and Tyreek Hill, who we all know if he didn't have off the field issues would have been drafted far uh, sooner so you know last year just you know quote-unquote generational class of wide receiver talent that i think people were hyping up cd lamb chase claypool and justin jefferson were able to get into the crew you know just realizing that in an offense it's much harder to kind of come in take control of that target share because there's so many more guys to compete with running back a little bit easier and i think teams realize that you know you need to get the most bang for your buck out of that investment as soon as you can from a you know a running back position that has a shorter career length than pretty much anywhere else Final, final point is with the quarterbacks, we need dual threat, man. I know that's kind of the way where generally fantasy is trending and even the NFL as a whole. You know, we don't want these statue passers as much, but like, look, rookie quarterbacks are going to have like your backs, backs against the wall trying to learn how to be a passer at an NFL level. So it's even more vital for them to have some semblance of a rushing floor. And we've seen that from the successful rookie QBs. We've only had seven since 2010, finished as a top 12. And those have been Cam Newton, Andrew Luck, RG3, Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, Kyla Murray, most recently Justin Herbert. Herbert was the only exception to one, not starting in week one, and two, not averaging at least 25 rushing yards per game. Hey, we saw how athletic he is. He didn't exactly show it off for Oregon, and he started in week two instead of week one. So reasonable exception to the rule, but looking at this class, man, Trevor Lawrence stands out as someone that I think we can get behind early, average 24 rushing yards per game at Clemson. I saw him, you know, outrace my entire Buckeyes defense uh, back in uh, 2019. So we know he's got the wheels. (laughs) He's my uh, QB 13 right now. And also I think – Obviously, Justin Fields, but also Trey Lance have shown that, you know, just fantasy friendly nature Our a PFF draft guy comp for uh, Trey Lance is Taysom Hill with actual arm talent. So just having that mentality, man, same thing with Jalen Hurts. Like you don't need to be a great NFL quarterback to be a great fantasy quarterback. And the guys that run the ball tend to prove that uh, more than anybody. So just keep that in mind. You know, if the 49ers do the unthinkable and actually take Mac Jones, uh, just realize that even if that pick works out more in real life than, you know, any of us would kind of expect it to. 
he's probably not going to be a good fantasy QB because that's just not part of his game. Okay, so let so let's let's wrap that up with the with, because the, you just gave a lot of information that's really good. The study was you looked at players who had been taken outside of the top three rounds at the fantasy football positions, um, and with the quarterbacks, the tight ends, and the running backs, you examined. How many were top 12 players? So RB, wide receiver, tight end. R, R, RB was top 24 and wide receiver okay, top okay, 24. So, okay, okay, so RB top 24, wide receiver top 24. And then so running running back ones or twos, wide receiver ones or twos, tight end ones, exactly. quarterback ones. The quarterback takeaway is you're not going to be one if you don't run, right? The for, for for running backs, if you're not taken in the top three rounds, you're probably you're just probably not going to be one. Yeah. Um wide receivers. I you speak because you said CD Lamb was in the so CD Lamb, Justin Jefferson, Chase Claypool, they all finished within the top 24 of theirs last year, but they were the exceptions and everybody else was the basic rule. Yeah, so wide receivers, it's, I, I didn't find like as definitive of kind of a rule with them. It's just that, you know, they're kind of just a lot of ballers in there. And I'll, I'll quickly read through the right. names and you'll, you'll see what I mean, man. Again, Tampa Bay, Mike Williams, Tyreek Hill, Keenan Allen, A.J. Green, Julio Jones, OBJ, Mike Evans, Calvin Benjamin, miss. Amari right. Cooper, Michael Thomas, Juju, Calvin Ridley, A.J. Brown, Jefferson, Claypool, Lamb. Like these guys didn't come out of nowhere. We were mm-hmm. pretty aware of who they right, were. Right, right. They went out and made big things. So, yeah, you know, Jamar Chase and some of these top guys, Guys, I'm not shying away from them, but you know, your lovely receiver you've been uh, targeting that falls, you know, the third or fourth round, and all of a sudden he's on, you know, a crowded depth chart. I would curb the expectations. And then for tight end, it's probably it's probably not going to happen for you <laughs> unless you're unless you're generational. And, and, which Kyle Pitts might be. And as you mentioned, he's cer- he certainly might be. All right, that that is great shit, Ian. All right, um, well, let's just you you mentioned a little bit. You mentioned how you had. Um, I believe you said you had Trevor Lawrence as your what your why your quarterback thirteen for yeah. for standard leagues. How did you? Now we got the reporting yesterday about Joe Burrow. It's looking like he's going to be available for or he's trending towards being available for Week One. He sort of fell at a point in these best ball drafts wherever I've. He, he's, he sort of seems to fall in an area that's after the Justin Herberts and Lamar Jacksons and Russell Wilsons and stuff. But maybe before I start considering the guys I could take later, like the Matthew Staffords and the Tom Brady's, it feels like Jalen Hurts is right kind of in that bucket too, at least for me, right there around QB8 or QB9. I have trouble deciding between Joe Burrow and Jalen Hurts, especially now with the news coming out that Sirianni saying that he is not guaranteed a starting job. It feels like he probably should be, and it feels like he will be. Um, what, how do you feel about the dichotomy of just those two players and as it pertains to this, this news that's come out these last few days about Burrow looking like he's probably going to be, be ready to go week one, and then Jalen Hurts, the organization coming out saying like look we're gonna have a quarterback competition with him and what i guess who did they bring it flacco I, I, yeah so that's just that, it's just doesn't right so what do you think about that so i first of all i love how jalen hurts is like everyone's favorite late round quarterback that is not a late round quarterback like he's <laughs> going off inside the yeah. top eight people like catch up i'm buying into it though and just because of everything i was just talking about with you know these fancy friendly qbs that have the rushing floor i mean we saw hurts come in last year and in four games finish as fancy qb 10 qb 1 qb 16 he gets benched before the fourth quarter of his last game he still had two rushing touchdowns like he can play terrible and just with 10 plus 
rush attempts still not kill your fantasy squad because the floor is that high. He already threw for over 300 yards in two games. Like, I'm not saying he's a great passer, but hell, it took Josh Allen three years to get to that number. Like, we know he can at least put up some production in garbage time. So, Hurts, you know, it's a bad team, and I get it. But honestly, like, you look at this Eagles defense and, you know, Russell Wilson and Ryan Tannehill, this applies too. Like, we want a quarterback on a team with a not great defense that teams could actively be scoring on, get them in the shootouts. Don't look any further than uh, what Dak Prescott uh, did last year. So, you know, these teams can talk about their competition, their, you know, run first offense all they want. But I think kind of examining the bigger roster picture kind of reveals the truth in some of these situations. I I think, uh, you know, the Eagles coach uh, coming out and saying it's going to be a competition. I think that's just, you know, saying, hey, every person, every coach on this roster is competing day in and day out. It's Jalen Hurts. Come on, people. They wouldn't do that. But uh, Joe Burrow, hey, man, I I, I think we're kind of seeing eye to eye with it. He's my QB. 10 I have him ahead of Brady Stafford and that group of guys and look when Burrow got hurt last year nobody in the league had more dropbacks at that point you know I think it's kind of confusing to me why Zach Taylor continues to get the benefit of the doubt he has done absolutely nothing in the past two years I think to earn that like even when Burrow was out there we were all just kind of like why are you letting your franchise quarterback get beat up this yeah. bad weekend and week out so we'll see he better you know start getting something done this year otherwise we're going to be looking at a change there but no I believe in Burrow I mean, I don't really buy into the uh, idea that he's a bad deep ball passer. I know we got the AJ Green uncatchable target stats and all that. Like, this is where people, we need to also use what we see on the film to try to decide what analytics matter. Because you can say, okay, only four of AJ Green's 24 deep ball targets were deemed catchable. He was also only considered open or wide open on one of those passes. And every other Bengals receiver outperformed this guy. So I think adding a legit talent like Jamar Chase, like Kyle Pitts, is just going to elevate Burrow even more. I get the guy to protect him. And if they want to use the first round pick on that, fine by me. They have used two of their last three first round picks on the offensive line already. So, you know, for me, I do think there's a higher ceiling with a potential, you know, long-term uh, wide receiver one like Jamar Chase, you know, I would take that over the potential uh, stud left tackle. Maybe that's because I'm a fancy mind. And I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to real life, but either way, it's a good problem for them to have with two guys, you know, that highly respected at their position. I, I think that their best move would be to, tr- would be if they could just trade down like, you know, four or five spots, you could still get one of those dudes and maybe pick up some picks for later. I just don't yeah. see the Bengals. That's, it's not really a Bengals move to, no. you know, think that critically about it. Too smart. Here, too smart. Here's, the other thing man you mentioned it about zach taylor i just i just looked it up whenever you were talking do you know do you know do you know do you know how many wins this dude has, has, has had during his first two years it's six right yeah he's six yeah. he's <laughs> 625 and one come on in, 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 in that one in that in that one tie game who was that was the eagles wasn't it that, that was just such a cowardly tie um Okay, uh, but six. To, he, he needs to win. And for me, if it were me, I would. I would definitely say, dude. I we 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 got T Higgins. He's he's good. You have a you have free you have free Arden Tate written on your screen here. You <laughs> That's know, right? Come on, yeah, man. You still have Tyler Boyd. You get Joe Mixon going, man. You bring in another tackle. You protect Joe Burrow. You can't you can't let that guy t- tear another ACL and just ruin him this early in his career. It uh, it's- it will be interesting in Fantasyland if they do go with the tackle. Like I think everyone's already they like everyone likes T Higgins. Everyone likes Tyler Boyd, and they're kind of both in this low end wide receiver two range. We could be looking at these guys, you know, kind of being uh. 
you know, I know Julio was hurt last year, but they could be like the AFC Ridley Julio just in terms of, you know, two guys kind of dominating their offense. Maybe Justin Jefferson, uh, Adam Thielen's another example. Like we just don't see too many high volume passing games like condensed around two receivers. We saw uh, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf for the first half of last season really ball out with right. it. I mean, they could be huge winners if they do end up going a tackle early because, again, people like them fine, but I think we're going to see them closer to that wide receiver one borderline than the wide receiver two if they do end up going tackle which which makes tyler boyd in particular just a, a raging value right yeah. now in these best yeah. ball drafts you forget man we saw we saw these games wherever joe burrow dropped back like 60 times or something last year that's <laughs> not even like i'm not even exaggerating i think that there was a couple of those games um so yeah man the pure volume and the fact that it will be so concentrated there's not a tight end there's not a tight end of any real consequence they they've as much as we'd love joe mixon to be super involved in the passing game it's not like he's been this maven that just you know completely bites into market share so i thought that's a great point uh we could be sleeping a, l- a little bit on just that pure volume that comes with yeah. the fact that t higgins is an alpha and tyler boy is really goddamn good yeah. so um that's a that's a great point whenever you look before the fifth pick do you think that this that the 49ers do you even believe that they would ever take take mac jones or for you said you're an ohio state Uh, truther so i guess you're (laughs) i I guess you have your own opinion on what needs to happen there if if that was me you know i'm going fields i thought uh you know jay moyer on twitter actually made a great point about this uh yesterday i'm finding his tweet uh right now but yeah uh this is from jay moyer uh, at jay moyer fb he said, here's a way to think about it. If Mac Jones doesn't master the cognitive side like a Brady Breeze Manning, he busts. If Fields does, he's a top three QB in the league. Like, I, I don't know why you would trade up for someone like Mac Jones, who is physically limited with what he can do athletically compared to a Justin Fields. And like, we've seen really smart pocket QBs, like still not be all that impressive. You know, your, your Garoppolo's, your cousins of the world. And okay. Like I'm not trying to put them on the Brady level, but you know what I mean, man? Like you can fix a lot of problems if you have, uh, you know, just a little bit of mobility. And I think that's just doubly true in today's NFL. With that said, I mean, when guys like Adam Schefter, Daniel Jeremiah, that know far more uh, than me about what's actually going through the minds of these decision makers uh it does you know make you uh look at it so it's one of those that i you know gun to my head i would go justin fields but it's something i was far more co- more uh, confident about a month ago than i am now there's just you know when there's this much smoke like it would make sense to me at the 49ers that they had always had the third pick and they just wanted people to have no idea what they mm-hmm. were doing and stuff but like when you're trading up and we're getting reports that you know they're still looking at trey lance i don't believe that i think they traded up full well knowing who they were going to get when they traded up, I don't know why we need to have all these rumors around it, but uh, that's just the way it is. It kind of reminds me of when uh, Joey Bosa went to the Chargers and for like a month before that, people were saying, oh, I don't know if he's a double digit sack, sack guy. He starts falling down, you know, outside the top 10 in mock drafts. Chargers pick him and they ask them. They're like, yeah, we knew this since February. Like, I don't, we don't know why everyone's freaking out about it. So. Let me ask you about a couple of best ball ADPs here and and uh, we'll just go we'll, we'll go through a couple of these and I'll yeah. let you get out of here man. I appreciate you taking so much time today. Oh sure. Um whenever you look at guys like do you think if these two players have ADPs that are very close to one another is there one that you prefer at 90 ADP and like best ball 10 so this is just PPR this is non tight end premium this is non super flex just kind of a PPR best ball league. Um J- Jeffrey Wilson has an ADP of 98, and Mike Davis in Atlanta has an ADP of 105. Is there one of those trashy players that you would uh, hey, rather hey, have? Hey, 
Hey, easy on my guy, Mike Davis. Tied, tied with Nick Chubb, most uh, broken tackles per touch last year. Mike Davis, actually is that, good. Is that true? Is, yes, is that a man. true fact? Mike that Davis. is a fact. For some reason, people always clap back. Oh, Mike Davis, you know, he doesn't have home run ability. Neither did David Montgomery until his offensive line opened up, you know, 80-yard runways. So I think it's Mike Davis. Mike Davis has a legit chance to boost into, like, RB2 territory if the Falcons don't touch anybody. And they should. Like, it, running back is – a need. I don't think they need to necessarily use one of their first two round picks on it, but you know, only having my guy Cordero Patterson uh, as the RB two, it's just not not great. They need to add at least someone now. If they add, you know, around six running back, and they're fine committing to Mike Davis. Hey man, we're gonna have to trust it because he did prove last year. I think he finished as the RB twelve uh, overall, even though he kind of had some stinkers uh, down the stretch. He did prove he has that three down ability. So Jeff Wilson, you know, his best case is the 49ers don't take a running back, and I think he's kind of the one B uh, in a two back committee behind Raheem Mostert. That's great, but I just think Mike Davis right now has that better, uh, more realistic uh, high end outcome. So give me Mike Davis. But hey man, you know, if we're drafting in round 13, 14, you can get them both. Why not? Yeah, man, I, and that's the way I—that's the way I have him. I—I I would rather have Mike Davis as well. Um, how about I—I I have trouble with these two. Uh, how about Brandon Cooks has an ADP of eighty-four? Of course, we know there's no Will Fuller. We know everything's up in the air with Deshaun Watson. It feels like that thing's maybe swinging back Deshaun Watson's way as the sand through the hourglass. These are the days of our lives. Uh, It—it goes—it goes—it goes back and forth. It feels like it's kind of swinging back towards looking okay for watching or maybe his availability for 2021 if they can get this stuff cleared up now that he said like look we, we we just need to take this thing to court and let's do this in a court of law it felt like a pretty strong move to me um him brandon cooks who was good last year even with fuller or betting on the come with lavisca chenault they're only going two spots apart and LaVisca Chenault, of course, he gets the benefit of a brand-new quarterback, Urban Meyer offense, a lot of excitement there. Of course, he was such a great player, young breakout age in college. How would you how, how would you crack that egg, Ian? <laughs> I would still go with Visca. I have LaVisca as my uh, 30, wide receiver 38, Brandon Cooks just a little bit beneath him at wide receiver 44. But Cooks, man, like you're right. If Watson ends up playing – like. Obviously, it's a screaming value. And even if not, man, like I understand going to Tyrod Taylor is a massive drop off. But this Texans defense is maybe the worst in the league. They have. And thanks to John Dago at Roto World for his available target tracker. The Texans have the sixth most available targets from last year, losing Will Fuller, losing Darren Fells and some of these other guys like Brandon Cooks could be looking at 150 plus targets. And he's got an ADP outside of the top 40 wide receivers. Now, maybe the Texans go ahead and draft someone. But, you know, it's they don't have any picks. I guess you're right, man. <laughs> you, you look at, and you know, it was one maybe the most confusing like free agency cycle of any team. And you know, some have said, hey, the Texans, they're just trying to tank and get the number one overall pick next year. So if that's your rationale, then fine. They nailed this offseason. But looking at this wide receiver room, man, Brandon Cooks, Andre Roberts, Randall Cobb, Kiki Cutie, Alex Erickson, Chris Conley, and Dante Moncrief. Like, what is going on? So I'm going with Visca. More so because I just don't want anything to do with the Texans. I understand that there's a way, you know, for Cooks to work out. He has that much volume. If Watson comes back, things are going to be good for him. But, man, you know, Cooks is, you know, kind of his generation's anti-Andre Johnson, uh, you know, Allen Robinson. He's played with Brady, like a good version of golf, Breeze, and then Watson. So, you know, all of a sudden you put him in a worse situation, not exactly a situation I'm looking to uh, to actively get into. The best-case scenario for Visca is that – 
Urban Meyer is done adding to the wide receiver room. They got Marvin Jones. You put Marvin Jones on one side, DJ Chark on the other, and our new, you know, Gen Z, Percy Harvin, Curtis Samuel, oh God, running back, yeah. wide receiver hybrid. Give me LaVisca Chenault getting 100-plus targets and maybe like 20, 30 carries. He could legit be a wide receiver uh, two in fantasy land with that sort of workload. All right, so two, two, two more wide receiver questions here. And, th- and this isn't like a, one of these um, pick one or the other. I just, I just wanted to ask you, like, wh- how are you, how are you um, making nuts and bolts out of Brandon Ayuk a bit with, with Debo Samuel coming back? Are you weighing in what, how he looked without Debo? Or uh, clear, clear, clearly you're weighing in everything, but how do you analyze it? He's got a current ADP right now of like 54, 55 uh, overall. It's, pre- it's getting to be pretty steep. You're taking him around guys like, you know, T. Higgins. Tyler Lockett, yeah. um, you know, Kenny Galladay, et cetera. Do you have any, you know, he's going way before guys like Cortland Sutton or even all the rest. Do you, do you, do you, do you have any feeling on Ayuk? I got most of those guys you named a little bit ahead of him. Ayuk's my wide receiver, 28. He's so good. It just comes down to, like you're saying, Debo and potentially a healthy George Kittle. Like, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be that shocking if Ayuk has the third most targets in the 49ers, and they're probably going to be more of a run-first offense, regardless of who is under center. But I think Ayuk is the second-best wide receiver from last year's class, you know, even ahead of guys like CD, uh, just only behind Justin Jefferson, obviously. What he did was absolutely incredible. But for Ayuk to come in, dominate, you know, on the outside with his route running you know proved to be a threat really despite you know far from good uh situation going on under center and even you know after the catch like when Debo was out earlier in the year they just kind of used him in that pop pass role and he's yeah. out there jumping over Philadelphia Eagles players and making yeah. all sorts of plays so Ayuk you know he's someone that I want on my team because I'm confident that he can make the most out of a lesser opportunity but I'm not going to be reaching to uh get that so unfortunately on Ayuk you know I do have him ahead of Debo but man like looking at it I think Ayuk and Debo and kind of you know DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson are the situations where we might like one player more than the other, but if we really want to, you know, be as objective as possible, spell out the projections, we should probably be scrunching them a little closer than the ADP suggest. Uh, his name again is Ian Harditz. You can find him on Twitter at iHartitz, H-A-R-T-I-T-Z, and the PFF uh, Fantasy Podcast. Uh, right now you can go to PFF and get 30% off any of their great products uh, with the code DRAFT. 30. Ian, thanks so much for coming on, brother. I only have one more question for you. I think this is the hardest one. And <laughs> NFC East dichotomy here. These guys are both going around pick 36. Both these guys are going at the 3-4 the three four turn. They're wide receivers. They are Amari Cooper and Terry McLaurin. You have, to, you, you have to choose one. I got McLaurin, wide receiver 11, Cooper, wide receiver 12, so you're killing me. I am going to go with McLaurin and – you know, if, if we're recording this at 1.30, if we're recording at 8.30 after a couple of drinks, I could very well be flipping it. So they really <laughs> are neck and neck. But my reasoning is that when you look at what Ryan Fitzpatrick has done for his number one wide receivers over the year, like it is absolutely ridiculous. I'm trying to pull up the uh, stat right now. But I mean, McLaurin, you know, I was talking about Andre Johnson, Allen Robinson. Terry McLaurin is quickly making a name for himself in terms of just bad quarterbacks he's That's had true. to play with. Here it is. TJ Hushmanzada had 137 targets from Fitzpatrick. Stevie Johnson got 148, 141, 134. Andre Johnson had 146. Devontae Parker had 128. Brandon Marshall, 173 one season and 128. That's Terry McLaurin this year. So for me, it's, uh, you know, again, neck and neck. I'm not going to hate anyone for picking Cooper, but give me Ryan Fitzpatrick's number one wide receiver.